what does the Bible teach about God's justice? Do we see the main concept as falls under retribution or does God's justice find under a restorative notion? Find out on tonight's episode. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Faith Unaltered. I am your host tonight. My name is Tyler Fowler. My other two co-hosts skimped out on me. We will judge them later for that. But no, I'm just playing. <laughs> um, but will, it, will it be restorative or will it be retributive? <laughs> I guess we'll find out tonight. So we will uh, We'll definitely see. But y'all, it's been a it's been a very 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 interesting day. And so whenever I got off work, I came home uh, today, and I actually got to go and hang out with uh, Braxton Hunter and Dr. Jonathan Pritchett uh, from Trinity Radio. And so we did an episode that will be released uh, hopefully soon. Uh, I know they did uh, a couple episodes today, or one for sure, uh, but uh, they did a live episode, so they said they would get around uh, to releasing that soon. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't subscribed to Trinity Radio, uh, go subscribe. Awesome channel. Uh, their main 
thing is, you know, dealing with atheists and answering atheist objections to Christianity. Um, but, but really good stuff. So I'm a student, uh, at their, uh, uh, seminary in college. And, uh, so I'm taking Greek with them and yeah, it was really fun. We went out for lunch today and we, uh, we did an episode and just kind of just hung out and chilled for, you know, a few hours. And so really cool guys. I really enjoyed my time, uh, down there. Uh, with Braxton, with Jonathan, and so fun, fun stuff. But guys, we got an awesome uh, episode tonight. We're going to be diving into the concept of justice. Uh, but before we do that, Dell, brother, how are you doing uh, since last night? Whenever we did an episode, yeah, I'm doing doing good. I'm happy to be here to talk about the interesting topic and to have a good conversation with Josh here about you know justice and what it what it entails. Uh, both philosophically and scripturally and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've just, just been hanging out, and uh, I'm disappointed that uh, our uh, co-host, David Russell, has betrayed us. Uh, I think he's just jealous of our cream soda in Canada. So, yeah. Well, I actually so the um, I, I actually heard from David just a few minutes ago, and he said the Canadian Mounties showed up at his door. I know. I, I Okay. I don't know. They had a bottle of red cream soda in their hand and some handcuffs. So I don't know. I think the protests are happening, guys. And so let's pray for David as we keep him <laughs> in our prayers. And uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, is that what you call him up there? Is that your police, uh, Dale? Like, that's, uh, yeah, that's at the federal level. We got Mounties. It's that's, I guess that's like our FBI equivalent or something. Ooh, I don't know. But okay. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. So right on. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So, guys, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, let me uh, let me just explain something really quick, and then we'll introduce Sherman. And so, Sherman, I've always been under the, um, I guess, the notion that divine justice is more retributive. However, thanks to you, my good friend, um, diving into this topic this week. So, for those that don't know, I've been trying to go through the old testament again and so i've from so i started this maybe about two weeks ago and i'm into jeremiah now it's really nice having a job where i can listen to just the bible for eight hours you know what i mean um and that's two weeks and you're already in jeremiah man you must read a lot no no i listen to audiobooks and that's what helps me out uh, a lot but listening and especially so we see this concept in the in, in judges in first second third fourth kings right um that and and especially in the prophets that there is and and we're going to bring up a couple bible verses that i want to talk to you guys about tonight but there is this notion and maybe even more of a notion uh or more than a notion i should say of a restorative aspect to justice and so we sherman and i were talking about this uh for a little bit now and so we wanted to do an episode uh, on this topic and maybe to help you know our listeners out uh that's that's diving into this concept that was like me maybe and saw and and maybe you know kind of a, a presumptuous thing uh, where I hadn't really dived into this topic the way that I should have. There's just so much with Christianity, man, and you can't get you ain't got enough time in the day. I I know now why people say that Christianity will take you the rest of your life to study because there's just so many subcategories to to dig through. 
and we're going to be talking about justice tonight. So Sherman, how are you doing, brother? It has been a little bit since you've been on uh, with us, not not too, too long ago, but how have you been since then? And uh, what are your thoughts just kind of coming into this episode uh, tonight that you would want to lay out for our listeners? Been doing all right. It's uh, it's been a, a busy time. We uh, <clears throat> we just went through the whole Holy Week Pascha season. Yep. Uh, church. Um, my family recently got a dog, so you might hear some more barking. You in the do. Yeah. Usual. Um, although that I'm trying, I was literally taking my heads headphones off trying to figure out if it was our neighbor's dogs or our dog because I almost never heard our dog bark. So I was like, "What's going on?" Um, but yeah, it's a, it'll be a little interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, this topic, I think for me, um, this is something that, you know, I started diving into, like a lot of people do, if they if they are um, trying to understand um, either biblical justice in general, uh, or you start getting into debates around things like penal substitutionary atonement, and then, of course, you have yeah. to dive into this, or you don't know what you're talking about, because there's a big piece of it that you're, you're just assuming one way or the other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um, I, I just I found it really helpful diving into that more and starting to think more about that and trying to trying to take trying to understand maybe where there are some gaps between the ways that we in in, in our culture today primarily think about justice in retributive terms and the way that that scripture and um, and the ancient Near Eastern context um, like people would have really kind of understood concepts of justice. Mm-hmm. And what that means when we try to then go to the Bible and understand things and go, are we just assuming we know what this means? And is are there problems with that? Or or, or um, are we really trying to kind of understand this? Um, and that's been a big part of kind of my trying to understand things uh, for quite a while now is just, you know, oh, you know, this this wasn't an individualist society. Maybe I need to try to understand what that actually means if I'm going to try to un, undo those lenses. Um, oh, this wasn't, you know, all of those kind of layers. Uh, so this is another conversation where I, I, I think that'll be helpful. And um, part of the reason I was interested in talking about this with Dale is, is uh, you all did a, an episode on penal substitution with uh, Caleb Mullins yep. uh, from Freedom Deed Ministries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see that there was some, some kind of disconnect on... <laughs> Well, just disagreement too, but um, maybe some disconnect on some of this. And I was thinking maybe it would be good to just take a step back and talk about justice biblically and how we understand it. And then further on, you know, other conversations can be had and we can bring this with us. So, right. So the way I've been kind of, you know, describing this, not only to you guys to make sure I'm on the same page uh, with y'all, but to others as well is that whenever we think of justice, so what is the main tenet that we are looking at here? And I've been using the analogy, which I think it's a great analogy, especially for Christianity, given that there's so many subcategories under that, as like an umbrella term. So if we think of justice as kind of the umbrella term here, what like what do we see? Do we see a more of a retributive, right, as an umbrella mm-hmm. term that restorative the restorative notion of justice falls under or is it vice versa is justice primarily restorative that retribution would fall under and sherman you would take the latter category right yeah yeah okay. and and we probably need to define some terms so people know Agreed. <laughs> what we're talking about um and you know and then you know obviously uh i, I want to make sure we hear, we're hearing from dale as well right um so one of the things that i find helpful as a tool, and this is not as a be all end all, but it's just a tool, 
is looking at the different categories of justice that, that Aristotle kind of described in, in his ethics. And um, again, I say it's a tool because obviously it's not biblical, it's not Hebraic, it's not ancient Near Eastern, right? Um, but, but he just gives categories that I, I think if we look at these and we start to think about what they mean, it gives us a little bit more clarity when we're trying to decide how they might fit together, where they might overlap, um, where we might be missing one of these if, if we're thinking about justice in a particular way. So uh, uh oh! Did what? Lose? Frozen. You froze oh no! So your pictures back. froze up, Sherman, but we oh. can hear you now. Now it's better. Okay. Well, hopefully that works. Um, is that any better? Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. Okay. yeah you're good now. Um, yeah. So you, you look at this and you can say, okay, so when we talk about restorative justice, what we're talking about is restoring right relationship or restoring someone back to kind of the status that they, they should have. Um, so you, you could think about something like um, uh, Joseph's brothers throwing him in the pit, right? Mm -hmm. That is an act of injustice, right? Mm -hmm. God then vindicating him through that whole story where he gets to the point where he is, is now, you know, Pharaoh's right-hand man, that is a story of vindication, a story of justice in one way of looking at it. Okay. Um, and I would amend this because this is primarily thinking about bringing things back to where they're supposed to be kind of thing, right? Yep. I think with with scripture, what we see is, is that that is actually a continuation of God's creative justice that God created and it was good. It was well-ordered. The relationships that were there were proper. Um, and, and they were doing, everything was, was doing what it was supposed to be doing. Uh, and everybody was in right relationship with each other. Um, and he created, you know, humanity, male and female, and it was very good. Right. Mm -hmm. And then what we see as we go through the story of scripture is obviously that didn't last that long. <laughs> we don't know how long, but in terms of the actual narrative, it doesn't last very long at all. Three um, chapters, and, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then, you know, the, the, the story of scripture is God bringing things back to the point where they were before, but not just back. It's like maturing what was there. So instead of Eden, we have like global Eden, right? Um, right. Instead of, of um, at least the way that a lot of the church fathers looked at it, instead of Adam and Eve as basically children, them now being fully mature, humanity being fully mature in what we were made, made to be. Uh, and so um, that restoration can only come from proper order in the first place. Otherwise you're not restoring it back to anything. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's why I would tie those two together. Um, Dale, do you have anything on that concept that you want to say? Um, I, I do, uh, but I've yeah. got kind of like, a, an opening with like, what is justice? Uh, yeah. so I don't know. Do you, it's going to be, a, I don't know, maybe if I'll try to fit it into like less than 10 minutes or something like eight minutes. Is that, Okay. Or do you want um, me to wait and let you let you give your opening and then? Yeah, I mean, I I think maybe I'll I'll complete the categories. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and then if you want to do that, and then we can start talking about how we might fit these together, and cool. I'm gonna go from there. Yeah, just, that'd be just, helpful. Just a one sentence answer to your question to me. So yeah, yeah, what what you're saying is bang on the money for me. I I think I would yeah I would be on board with what you're saying. Cool. Uh, that's it's always nice. 
It's nice to start with that when when we know there is some disagreements in some places, right? At um, least we have common ground starting out, so it's a good thing. We, we better. <laughs> we're not in the phase where we're I'm pretending to be an enemy for the retribution side. I, that, we didn't yeah. do that. Is that right? Yeah, we, David didn't show up, so we can't do that tonight. Yeah, so. we we had it on the graphic, but I mean, really, I mean, I, I guess what I would say is that um, if people are wondering, you know, both Dale and I see these various forms of justice in scripture. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, we're not necessarily coming at this saying, well, there's no retributive justice or, the, or justice isn't restorative. Uh, we're yeah. trying to kind of sort things out. Uh, and, and this conversation is, is one way to do that. Clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, so um, then we can also talk about things like procedural justice, right? Uh, yeah. So this is following the right steps, following the right procedure uh, in order to um, to make sure that the, the outcome is just, right? Uh, and so we see this in, in places uh, where um, Scripture basically says, you know, God doesn't show partiality, right? Mm -hmm. He's going to judge the right way, the right, you know, right kind of procedure. He's, he's going through the right, the right steps. Um, and, uh, and kings are not to show partiality either. Right, they're supposed to execute justice properly and not not be like, oh, you're rich, yeah, sure, I'll I'll take a bribe. Right, um, that's part of it. You also see, uh, I, I think, this idea of procedural justice in in some places like uh, at Babel, right? So that statement that God is says He's going to go down and look and see mm. what they're doing, right? Not open it's, theism. It's, it's not just an anthropomorphism. Mm -hmm. It's not open theism. It's it's not God doesn't know. It's it's a demonstration that God is a just ruler, and so He's not going to go bring judgment upon people without knowing what they're doing. Right. Uh, and and for the readers of of uh, of uh, Genesis, they would have kind of understood like, oh, okay, like this is this is a, a just judgment. It's not just like. I'm mad, <laughs> right? Blind um, anger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was just laughing. So I was. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, and then we also see things like with dis distributive justice. So this is like, um, you know, giving fairly to people, and 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 this is kind of, um, in a way, this is kind of what um, Davidson was talking about, right? Giving to mm -hmm. each according to what they deserve. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and if he was taking it almost in um, more of a legal punishment kind of direction, I think. But it can kind of this concept can kind of have both uh, when you're talking about giving people what they deserve. Right. Um, but, you know, distributive justice is making sure that you're, you're not just, you know, saying, um, you know, I'm just going to give again that kind of partiality thing. So this actually ties a little bit into procedural as well. Um, and I think we also see that in scripture, right? So, you know, God is, is someone who is fair. He is someone who is giving to people, uh, with, with, with a sense of equity. And, and I mean, we actually see that translated in, in, in some of the different verses. If you look at, you know, um, judging with, um, you know, justice and equity and all of that, um, th that comes through, right? So I, I think that's also there. I don't actually have verses for that one as explicitly. Um, but yeah, DL, do you see places where that, do you see that in, in scripture in general? Um, I, I guess something like uh, you don't not having unequal weights and measures. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't I don't know where that is, but some, I would appeal to a verse like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and and again, like these aren't easy categories to just separate out. I think, especially the distributive and the procedural, can sometimes kind of meld together. And in some ways, the the 
distributive and restorative can get a little bit confused too. Uh, so it's kind of fun. Yeah. Is that because yeah. you think that there's be like you just said, they kind of melt together. Is that because there's some overlap, uh, if not a lot of overlap even between the two categories? So it's not as black and white as you well, know, we, we want to make it. Just for me to th throw it in before you answer yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say so, Tyler. So I, I think that procedural justice would be kind of a subset of distributive justice, right? Get, getting what you deserve. You deserve fair procedures. But yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll shut up and let Sherman answer. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might be something kind of like the procedural justice is about what needs to be done in order to make sure that that fairness is preserved. And then the distributive is looking at the result, uh, mm -hmm. something kind of like that, maybe. Um, so and and again, it's not um, I don't think either of those is the primary uh, thing that we see in Scripture when we're when we're talking about justice. But they're they're both definitely there. And depending on, on how you kind of either smash together or or bring apart the restorative idea and the distributive idea, um, it actually could be very much tied into what I think the, the main idea is, which is, is the restorative side. Because um, you can you know, talk about things like, um, you know, giving judgment to the to the to the poor, like making sure they have justice, um, vindicating the person that's in the right when you have a civil suit. Um, so we have that kind of a thing where someone brings a complaint before the judges and and they would say, OK, well, who's in the right? Who's in the wrong? OK, now you have to, to pay restitution. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of a thing is about distribution. It's also about restoration. Right. Because it's restoring what was taken. Um, right. So we, we see this in the New Testament with Zacchaeus, uh, that he uh, he followed what was prescribed in Torah in um, giving back not just what he had taken from people, but I believe it was a, another fifth. Uh, so I'm pretty yeah. sure that's right. Yeah, it, it was either a fourth or a fifth that he wanted to bring back to the people that he stole from. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I, I'm definitely saying and, and, you know, there's this concept in the Old Testament uh, and, and you get you've already hinted at it, uh, Sherman, about taking care of orphans and widows. This mm -hmm. falls under the category of justice. And I was telling you a while back that you know whenever we did when before i started investigating orthodoxy um i was concerned at one point in time that you know orthodox they seem to confuse and maybe this was you know because of my protestant upbringing but they seem to kind of mesh together these concepts of justice and mercy right mm -hmm. but now the more that i'm engaged with this conversation especially like looking at the bible it's just like what we said just a minute ago, right? These categories are overlapping. And so it makes sense to me now that mercy and that justice, instead of being split apart, would be more so seen together in this, you know, not so much like it's not as black and white, but more of like a gray kind of mesh area uh, where these two, you know, entangle with each other. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think there's a lot more of that going on than than we usually see. Mm -hmm coming at it from the context that, that most of us probably grew up in, uh, in, in churches and in society. Right. Because for me, anyway, it was procedural, right? Out of the four categories that I heard the most, it was procedural justice, right? Mm -hmm. God gives you, if God is just, then God is giving you what you deserve, right? If he's not giving you what you deserve, that is injustice, as R.C. Sproul would say, right? Yeah. But that's also mercy at the same time. So, 
in one sense, you know, I think he would say that no one receives injustice, but if you're receiving mercy with those categories, you are receiving injustice at that point, right? That gets to be really hard to try to parse out if you, if right. you is, is completely separate. Yeah, you can't. exactly. Another kind of blending that can happen is looking at something like procedural justice and retributive justice, which is, mm -hmm. is the, the fourth category that Aristotle has. And yeah. this is probably one of the ones that's also pretty, you know, most people are going to be pretty aware of this, right? You know, we think of things like the death penalty. We think about, you know, oh, yeah, you know, you do the crime, you, you know. You must pay the time, right? That kind of a way of thinking. Um, and so in, in your mind, I'm, I'm sure you're probably thinking, okay, so the procedure is that God is going to do the just thing. And then if what I deserve is punishment, he's going to punish me. And, and, and that's where those two would connect, right? Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so th those are kind of the four four main categories. Um, again, you know, I'm kind of amending that one a, a little bit um, by saying creative and restorative together because I, I do think that that's a more helpful way to look at it from the standpoint of, of scripture. Uh, so uh, I think I'll pause here, uh, Deal. If you want to kind of intro your what you want to say about justice, and then we can just kind of go from here. Cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. Cool. So yeah, thanks for thanks for going over that there, uh, Josh and. Um, yeah, I think so. For me, when I when I ask the question like, "What is justice?" Um, the first thing is I kind of want to take a step back and generalize in terms of, okay, well, what what is justice ontologically speaking? Well, um, I believe in the ontological ethics, right? So, it's a moral principle or rule. And okay, well, what is a moral principle or rule? Um, it's basically a value. It corresponds to a value that is grounded in God's nature. God values justice. Um, so that's a, ontologically what what it is, right? That we have this moral rule, and there are various aspects that moral rules like justice would have, right? So in the first place, these values, they have the highest degree of incumbency, uh, meaning they are supremely authoritative, right? They, they have, they take top notch over other uh, types of values, non-moral values, and stuff like that. Um, they also carry with them a categorical or prescriptive imperative. So they they tell us uh, what moral agents ought to do. Um, and they're also universalizable. Uh, and this aspect of moral rules, including justice, is going to be important when we get to questions like, how well, what do we do with justice and mercy and stuff like that, right? So by universalizable, um, I just mean that they they apply these principles or rules apply equally uh, in all morally relevant uh, situations um, that are similar to each other and sufficiently similar to each other. And there are no exceptions to these principles, although there can be exemptions to them. Um, so that would come up when you know in the moral hierarchy sometimes in a fallen world we come up to where two or more moral principles or rules conflict with each other we we can't uh you know uphold all of the principles equally and we have to choose we have to do the lesser of two evils or something like that and in that case we would say the moral rule has been exempted as opposed to having an exception um because these moral rules or principles apply all the time, um, but we just sometimes have to have a morally justified exemption for not 
upholding a principle in a given case. Uh, and then finally, the other thing uh, is this is kind of related to restorative aspect. These moral rules pertain to moral agents and specifically moral agent flourishing. Um, so that's going to be relevant to the restoration, creative restoration justice category, right? Um, so that's what it is from a moral value standpoint. But in terms of the normative ethical theories, we all, I don't think that deontology is good enough, right? So, so why on earth does God value these? Why, why would God value justice, something like justice? Well, this is where the teleos or the end goal comes in. And this is where I would bring in things like virtue ethics, a virtue ethical standpoint. And this is where philosophers like Aristotle would be coming from and, and stuff like that. They, they would say, well, look, we follow these moral, follow these moral rules. Why, why does God value them? Because this is what creates a virtuous agent or a, an agent that is worthy of that salvation fit or whatever you want to call it, a saint, as uh, Travis would have said last night, right? Um, so it develops our characters to be in the ideal state and that sort of thing. And that's why we follow, that's why we want to be just. Uh, we, we follow the principle of justice because that makes us have a just character, which is essential for living the ideal life. So that's just kind of taking a step back there. So in terms of what the essence of this principle, this rule of justice is, I essentially, I, I think it's very, fundamentally simple, right? On, on a grand level, I, I just would define it as treating equals equally and tre uh, treating inequals appropriately and equally, um, unless you have a morally justified exemption for not doing so. Um, so that that's in a nutshell what I think justice is. All Any and all further categorizations I think are helpful in just telling us, well, how do we apply this principle in certain scenarios, right? So you have proceed, uh, procedural justice. Okay, well, how, how do we apply this principle in our procedures, whether it's a legal procedure or, or whatever, social justice procedures or whatever. Um, so, so that's, I guess, in a nutshell, how I see what the question of what justice is. Um, obviously, as I said, the virtue ethics part that provides the restorative uh, or creative justice aspect. So by being just and following this principle or rule, um, and not just following it, but we also have our characters as part of virtue ethics, we have to desire justice. It, it's supremely important. We have to, uh, it has this highest incumbency, right? Level of incumbency. And we, we desire it, we, we ourselves value it as we reflect our creator. Um, and and we, we seek to see justice enacted in the world. And all of the all of this plays a role um, in creating these virtuous agents, in us being made in the image of God, and restoring us from what we've lost to the to the ideal state uh, or the end state that we will be in uh, in salvation. Um, yeah. So in terms of procedures, I, I kind of procedural justice. I kind of see this as kind of akin to the principle of fairness, which some philosophers have equated justice and fairness. I, I'm not, I kind of separate them, but I'm not exactly sure. But I, I think that the principle of fairness just says, look, we, we've removed all biases or we've removed, to use a biblical term, unequal weights uh, from the procedures that we use when we're enacting justice. 
um, distributive. I, I think this is a lot of what Aristotle is about and stuff and what he's talking about. So yeah, the, the way we distribute goods in a society or, or distribute um, punishments and uh, rewards and stuff like that, it, it is uh, fair. It is just in that sense. Um, in terms of retributive justice, um, so I, again, I, I'm not sure that justice is retributive. So I, I understand there are Bible verses that seem to indicate that. Um, definitely there are verses that speak about God's vengeance, uh, and, you know, the, an eye for an eye and, and stuff like this. So I, I understand why it's kind of the default view, but I think if we read it in context, underlying that is really this more, uh, essential concern whereby, look, we want the reason why God has to be just is because that plays that role in bringing about the res restoration of creation and, and, allowing moral agents to become virtuous agents and, and fit for a state of salvation. Um, so, so yeah, basically retributive justice is, the, is this idea that when you're punishing someone, um, that state in and of itself is good. The, the act of punishing an evildoer, giving them their just desserts in and of itself is, is, is good. That's what justice is all about. Um, I don't, I'm not sure I believe that. I, I think that I take a consequentialist view, and I guess we'll get more into that when we speak about punishment in, uh, in general kind of thing later on. But um, I'm, I'm not sure I would agree that there is such a thing as retributive justice um, in the Bible or philosophically. I would disagree with it. Right on. Thank you for that, Dale. Just for... Um, for my sake and for our audience that might not know, um, you uh, said that you would take a consequentialist approach. Can you just kind of lay that out um, and elaborate on that a little bit, Dale? Yeah, absolutely. So, so in terms of um, if we're looking at things like punishment, right? Um, so philosophers have different theories or for the justification for punishment. Is mm -hmm. it retributionist stance where it's, like punishing an evildoer in and of itself is is a good thing. That that's why we that's why we punish it. Yeah, get him. He's getting his just desserts. That's good. A consequentialist understanding justification for punishment is more. No, punishment itself is bad, but it is instrumentally good in that it, by punishing people we achieve certain beneficial consequences. So mm -hmm. in that context, this is where what you guys are calling restore restorative justice or restoration right by by punishing people i think punishment is essential for reforming people's character okay uh yeah so that would be the beneficial cons uh, consequence there we're reforming the criminal's character we also reform the victim's character by seeing punishment done i think this helps to heal uh the victims of sin or, or a crime or something like that Okay, so fair enough. So instead of more so, oh, this guy's getting what he deserves, there's an aspect of restoration behind it in the sense that you're reforming, or you're hoping at least, you you have intent to reform the uh, the person that either done the wrong and at the same time reforming the person that was done or that had wrong done to them. That is that correct? Am I tracking, Bill? Perfect, yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. 
In fact, I think you said it better than me. So, <laughs> well done. <laughs> right on. All right, Sherman, what do you think? Uh, it's really interesting to hear you say that you don't see the retributive there, um, because in, in a way, I kind of was just was going along with it, knowing that the way the category is usually talked about. But um, I, I, I think we're, we're probably largely agreed on that too, uh, because what I see when I see any kind of punishment or chastisement. Um, which which could loosely fit into a category conceptually of, of retributive justice uh, in terms of Aristotle, but you know probably that category doesn't really totally work, uh, especially for chastisement, <laughs> um, right or discipline. Um, it, it, it does seem to me that that, that we do see uh, you know primarily what it's an instrumental thing, right? So um, when I look at it and I see in scripture you know, the God is saying he's going to punish a nation, right? Yeah. Why is he going to punish that nation? Like, usually it's because what they're doing is either standing up against Israel in a way that could threaten God's plan of salvation, bringing forth the Messiah and, and all of that. Um, or it would be that they are wicked in and of themselves. And usually it's you know, if, if they're doing the former, they're also very much doing the latter because they were all very wicked. Uh, and, and not to say that Israel wasn't in a lot of ways, too. Right. They had their their own uh, problems with idolatry and injustice and apostasy and all that. Um, but, yeah, usually what you're going to see is that a nation is going to be punished when they are standing up against uh, what God is doing um, or when they are um, they are so wicked that it's like the time has come. Right. Um, so in uh, in Exodus, you have a point where God is is talking about this um, and he's basically saying, you know, to to Abraham in Genesis, I think it's 19, um, you know, that you um, your descendants are going to be enslaved uh, for for this long. I'm going to punish those who enslave them. Right. Um, but part of the reason that I'm, I'm it's this long is that the wickedness of this other group of people hasn't come to its fullness yet. Right. So it's, it's almost mm -hmm. like God is giving the time for them to repent. He's giving the time for them to to turn away from their wickedness, knowing in this case that they're not. Right. Um, and then when that's that fullness is there, God actually uses Israel to judge that that nation uh, as they drive, uh, drive uh, people out of Canaan. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. So very much an instrumental nature to that, for sure. Um, I think the consequentialist side of things, um, I, we may have some some interesting discussion when we start trying to trying to put that in specific situations. But uh, but I, I can definitely you know understand um, that way of looking at things for sure. Awesome. Let me just ask you uh, out, of, out of curiosity, uh, would yeah. you would you say that the, the state of punishing this evildoer itself is good like that state of events or that state of affairs whereby you were punishing a wicked doer that is that is good just in and of itself or hmm. that's really yeah that's a really <laughs> interesting one um i'm not sure we can say that for humans because we don't have the knowledge to know what the outcome of that might be. Um, talking about it with God is, is a little more interesting because in like, <laughs> you know, given that he knows the outcomes, like, it's like, okay, like if he's punishing someone, it, it does seem like, you know, that's, that's, he's doing that because um, that's what needs to happen. 
Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think I would personally hesitate to say that, that punishing someone is a good in and of itself. Cool. Yep. Uh, same, same here. Yeah. Right on guys. Right on. I don't know if now would be maybe the time to get into this. And if it's not, yeah. Sherman, if you plan on bringing this up later, just say pass and, and we'll go on, uh, we'll transition yeah. to your next topic, but it seems like a distinction at least at this point needs to be made between chastisement right mm -hmm. and um retribution in 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 that sense because the reason i say that is i'm setting here you know one of the verses that come up into mind and i'll be like the writer of hebrews someone said somewhere right yeah. that <laughs> and and i think it might be even in hebrews if i'm not mistaken but the lord chastises whom he loves right mm -hmm. and with that concept you have the notion of bringing back so mm -hmm. if one of god's people has gotten off track we see the lord chastising in order that yes they might come back to uh to him right and so there's this there's this con the good shepherd imagery comes in uh for me anyway uh at this point he leaves the 99 to go grab the one and 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 you know there's not the sense of retribution whenever it comes to those who are seeking refuge in god but then at the same time i read things like isaiah 34 so i'll just read a couple of verses here draw near o nations to hear give attention o peoples let the earth hear and all that fills it the world and all that comes from it for the lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts he has devoted them to destruction has given them over for slaughter their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpse shall rise the mountain shall flow with their blood all the hosts of heaven shall rot away and the skies will roll up like a scroll all their hosts shall fall as the mm -hmm. leaves fall from the vine like leaves falling uh from the fig tree and it goes on to talk about how the lord has a day of wrath or i'm sorry for the lord has a day of vengeance in verse eight a year of recompense for the cause of zion and it seems like so there's two different categories here that mm -hmm. whenever i read that it doesn't seem like that's chastisement, right? But more so this retribution that we're talking about. Is that, am I picking up uh, right there or, or would you guys nuance that a little bit more? I, I think that's why, if we're going to use the language like retribution, mm -hmm. that's why I don't deny that there's some sense in which something like that is happening in Scripture, Okay, right? Um, because... It's certainly, you know, it's, it's hard to read some of that and say, like, there, there's there's nothing that God ever does to punish anybody in, in Scripture, right? We, we clearly see things like that. We clearly see, um, you know, the nations that have gotten to their wickedness. We see people standing in the way of what, what God is, uh, is doing. Um, and, you know, for them, depending on kind of where they're at, you know, what do you do with Pharaoh, mm -hmm. Right. Was that chastisement or was that judgment, right? right? And and part of that comes down to where Pharaoh was at himself, right? He was at a place where it was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going after them, right? And, and you know, there's a dynamic there with Pharaoh and God of, you know, hardening and, and all of that kind of stuff that, that sure. goes on there. Uh, and that's a whole long, you know, conversation. But it does seem like you, you can't look at some of this stuff and say, that wasn't punishment that was that was just chastisement when it comes to the judgment of, of some of the you know wicked nations around israel and um the other place that that i think is an interesting place to ask that question is when you look at something like adam and eve 
in the garden and they're being exiled, what is that? Right. Right. Um, because a lot of people look at that as a punishment, mm-hmm. almost more in a retributive sense, setting humanity on the path to hell, unless, you know, something happens to intervene. Right. Um, and that's where you kind of go. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, and, and, and that's where, you know, I look at that and I say, well, it seems to me that with the plan that God had in place and him planning to bring humanity back, um, you know, to the extent that we have, you know, people that are, have faith in Christ, like that's, that seems to me like it's actually more of a chastisement than a punishment. Um, if we're, if we're going to go looking at it on that side, the flip side of it is that it's also a mercy mm-hmm. because they're not left to be eternally distorted in a sinful state. Right. 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 And even before they were exiled, yeah. right. The promise is given in Genesis three, what 15 to 17, mm-hmm. that, you know, this isn't permanent, right? Someone will come. And we see allusions throughout the Old Testament until, well, Christ shows up on the scene that that yeah. person has come now. So, yeah. And, and that promise is part of how justice is understood in the Old Testament in the restorative sense, right? Mm-hmm. That um, God is just because not only does he promise to vindicate his people, yeah. but he delivers on it. And so um, there, there are ways in which um, you can look at things like the righteousness of God has been revealed in Christ and say, you know, yes, like God has revealed that he is keeping his promises in this. Right? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where um, especially N.T. Wright focuses a lot on, on this kind of reading of Dicchiosini and, and trying to understand it as as God, um, you know, demonstrating that he he is in the right, that he is vindicating his people. He is keeping his promises, that he is just. Right. Right. And for those that don't know Greek, Dikaisune, uh, like Josh just said, it is this concept of justice or righteousness. Even uh, we were having a little conversation off air about if some translations were to translate uh, Dikaios, right, as justice, mm-hmm. what that would look like in and of itself. But that's a conversation. I, I yeah. don't want to get off on that, but just for our audience that don't know Greek. So, yeah. Okay. Dale, uh, what are your thoughts? Okay, so uh, so just so I understand uh, the way you guys are differentiating chastisement and punishment, because mm-hmm. I, I would not make a distinction there, but okay, uh, so, so chastisement is not a punishment. Like, are you talking about like the Apostle Paul or Christians would they're innocent and they would get beaten and stuff for for an instrumental reason? Is that what chastisement L- is? Like well, uh, God sending Israel into exile. Right. right. Or, or okay. even Paul handing over, who was it, uh, Hymenaeus, right? So mm-hmm. for his body uh, to be destroyed in that sense, but for the purpose that his soul might be saved. I would consider that. So I see what you're saying, and well, I think this goes back to our overlap, right? There is this sense of punishment, but because there's this restorative notion in mind, right? Mm-hmm. Something is going to happen that comes from this. This isn't an ends in and of itself then yeah. I would consider that as more of a chastisement with the, you know, concept of bringing back, right, to restore. Okay, so so yeah. let me let me say this then. So given that that's the case, and this is what I, I just did a quick Google search, right? Ch- the meaning of chastisement in, the, in a biblical context is a physical punishment or beating or something. It's to criticize harshly, to punish severely as a way to criticize. 
Uh, so great. So that's exactly what punishment is, right? So if we if we define what is punishment, um, I I go with philosophers have different theories. I take what's called an expressivist theory of punishment. Um, so there there are four necessary conditions for this for something to count as a punishment. So so number one, um, the consequence must impose some sort of cost or hardship or at the very least withdraw a benefit that would otherwise be enjoyed to the moral agent or person being punished. Uh, so that's the chastisement or whatever you want to say, right? Two, the punisher must do so intentionally and not accidentally uh, or not as a side effect. Uh, so it's intentionally done. Um, three, the hardship or loss of benefit must be imposed in response to what is believed to be the wrongful act or omission thereof. Uh, and then finally, four, here, here's where it relates to chastisement. Remember that critici criticizing harshly through these physical things. So this is where there's a, the hardship, the punishment is imposed at least in part as a way of sending a message of condemnation or censor. So this is where you get the word you're expressing through the punishment. That is bad. That is, I judge that horrible. Mm -hmm. um that that's a bad deed and and now you're paying the consequences so hmm. that's what i think upon it yeah is, and i don't so, see it, so yeah I, I think maybe part of the reason that, that we're looking at it a little bit differently is is even just looking at western and eastern concepts of shame right so um if you're talking about punishment as a way of expressing that something is bad we tend to think of shame as a way of excluding somebody right mm -hmm. in an in an Eastern culture, that tends to be more a way of saying, you're doing this bad thing, stop doing this bad thing so that we can be in right relationship with each other, right? And and that's where, like for me, when I see chastisement and things like the Lord chastises those, those whom he loves, right? Is he just yelling at them or is he saying, you know, this is bad. You're not supposed to be doing this. I'm going to be clear with you about this so that you will stop doing the bad thing so that we can be back in right relationship. And and that's where I think a lot of this, um, the restorative aspect of this starts to come in, because when we talk about justice, primarily in terms of these philosophical concepts and values and virtues, it can get to the point where it's like, there's my list of rules and I need to follow this because of the list of rules. The way that it seems to play out to me when we look at, at scripture and even the way Torah is set up, it's set up in order to try to have harmony of relationship between people and between people and God, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so if someone is out of where they're supposed to be, if they're acting out, if they're hurting someone else, if they are um, you know, oppressing someone else, then the idea of justice ultimately would be to have them be back in relationship with the the people around them by having them stop doing the bad thing providing restitution etc right um and and so that that kind of relational aspect to it frames the whole thing for me i i totally agree like no, nothing i i said there in the definition of punishment would actually disagree with that right like okay. obviously the punishment itself, it, again, it's a condemnation or censorship of the act, not the person necessarily. Mm -hmm. And got it. The point of that is, sure, restorative, great. So uh, after they get punished in whatever way, uh, that's to restore or to mm -hmm. build them up, whatever the 
the goal is the telios of that punishment or chastisement kind of thing right to yeah yeah so i i think the difference for me if i were to try to 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 try to say that punishment and chastisement are different and and there may just be different terms to that would be better for this right it does seem like there are actions that God takes in judgment that are final, mm. right? Mm. And if they're final, what do you do about the restoration aspect of things? And does that fit more of that kind of chastisement, leave come back thing, right? So um, with Adam and Eve, it's exile from the garden. With Israel, it's exile from the land. But both of those are, are, are with the, the design to come back and with a plan to bring them back. When you see a particular nation that's judged by God, you see something like Sodom and Gomorrah, like that doesn't have the same flavor to me when I think about what God is doing there. It seems like there's a line that's been crossed to the point where there is judgment and that judgment isn't really meant to bring bring them back into right relationship, at least in this life. And, and, you know, you can start asking questions about what all that might look like beyond, but that's um, exactly what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. So like with Adam and Eve, right? So, okay, so cool. Their, their punishment was lifelong, uh, earthly lifelong banishment from the Garden of Eden. Um, but it, I, I tend to think that Adam and Eve are saved. I, I don't know. Maybe you disagree. But um, so like, yeah, the, the by being banished from the Garden of Eden, just keeping things simple and stuff like that, just a literal mm-hmm. understanding that punishment served the purpose of restoring the relationship between Adam and Eve and God. So after they died, they're, they're now in heaven with thing with God and stuff in relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also served the goal of reforming the characters of their offspring because it, it led to the salvation history, uh, causal chains where Jesus died on the cross, died for the sins of all mankind and stuff like that. So that, mm-hmm uh there were restorative goals attached to the banishment even if it yeah. was lifelong permanent so i don't see the issue to be honest okay i mean i i agree with you with them i i guess something like sodom and gomorrah is where i start to go a little bit like i don't i don't know that i see you coming back from that in the same way um but for me the reason that i i hesitate to use language and maybe that i'm looking at separating out chastisement and punishment i we so automatically go to Adam and Eve were punished by God, and that's what banishment from the garden was, and that's what mortality is, and that's what death is, and death connects to sacrifice, so sacrifice must be a punishment, and all of that is a road towards eternal punishment if there isn't some bringing back from that. So in a way, it's kind of like them being punished with mortality is being punished with possibly, you know, immortal punishment. like those things are so easily tied together in the mindset that a lot of us have. Uh-huh. I want to take a step back and look at that and say, is that punishment in the way that we would tie all those things together? Or is there something more complex going on here? And so for me, if I were to order things, I will actually see what happened to them as exile. And I, I even see death as a form of exile, right? Because it's, the furthest point of exile that, that that those who are saved are going to have is separation of soul and body. And then it's now God is bringing us back from that. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, then that's the, the plan of salvation through, through, yeah. through Christ and the resurrection and all of that. Right. So yeah. um, 
I see things primarily in terms of, of, of Exile kind of being the larger frame there because there is that boomerang design for it mm-hmm. um, versus like a linear design, which is just like you are damned, right? Um, and, and that's where I, I guess I kind of see maybe a difference in that in terms of the intent or, or the, the outcome uh, when you're talking about some of the judgment we see in scripture, because it does seem like some of the judgment we see in scripture is this nation is wicked. They're cut off from the earth. Like, I don't know what hope they have of, of being saved outside of God working something that we don't understand to the Mm -hmm. point where they come to faith in Christ, even after death. And somehow that's a path that's open to them. Like, I don't see how that works with scripture. Uh, So I hope that, people can be saved beyond, but I don't, I don't see how it works. Right. Um, yeah. You you know, there's, uh, also, and not to like cut off your train of thought, Dale, so make a mental note of, of what you're getting ready to say, but I just want to add to, to this conversation a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and granted, we've been talking about, you know, what happens with humans. I think there's Mm -hmm. another aspect of this conversation that we have to bring into it. Why? Because it stems back to God, right? So there is this connection with God and what we see in Scripture as well as extra biblical, you know, literature like Enoch, for example. But what we haven't discussed, uh, and and we can take this trail if you guys want to, uh, but the fallen angels, right? Mm-hmm. There is no coming back from what we understand uh, with Jubilees, with Enoch, with the extra biblical literature, and what we seem to find in Jude and Second Peter, there is no coming back. These these entities are almost in a sense like compared to like false prophets and false uh, witnesses, false teachers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And and there is no coming back. So I hear what you're saying, Sherman, yeah. um, how we apply that to humans. I don't know because, you know, Jesus became a man, not an angel to save men. Like that was the, mm-hmm. so there are aspects of this conversation that don't apply to angels and, and, and fallen angels and demons, even if we want to go that route uh, that do apply to humans. So like I said, I don't think it's a major point in this conversation, but again, I don't think we need to look over that either because that all stems from God. And so these are attributes of his character that I think we have to take into consideration whether we want to make this a primary uh, point or not in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So I, I tried to write down t- the two things I wanted to say, so hopefully I don't forget it, but okay. So, so starting with Adam and Eve, um, I think, I think you're right. And it's like, obviously, okay, what was the immediate punishment for their actual sin? It was mm-hmm. exile. It was spiritual death, right? Hell is relational separation from God. That's what the punishment for sin is. Um, now that I think spiritual death, one could argue, well, that also entails physical death. I have heard some people say, well, actually God wasn't punishing them when he banned them from the Garden of Eden, taking a literal uh, interpretation which i don't take but just for the sake of argument he banned them from the tree of life as a mercy because oh can you imagine being more physically immoral and sinning that is horrible yeah. so that was some people that, argue I, that. Fallen angels. I, I do basically take that view um, okay. Okay. yeah so i i that's why i see it as like if we're going to say that there's a, a difference between a mercy and punishment in this way then that's why i i see something kind of like a punishment in the sense of chastisement, which is now you're going to have to take a longer path to get here. 
right? And and there are consequences to your actions, and and this is a consequence that you're now going to have to deal with. Um, but I see that as 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 an act of of mercy because um, essentially, and I mean, you think about what it means to be immortal in a corrupt state. That may not be exactly a demon, but it's kind of close, right? Mm-hmm. That's not good, right? So um, I don't think God wanted to leave humanity there, and Scripture is pretty clear about that because he's basically like, well, you know, lest you reach out your hand and take of the tree of life, um, you know, I don't want that to happen, right? Um, so I do think it was a mercy, but but I, I also do see that kind of disciplinary side to it as well. Um, I just don't think it's like, and now I've damned all of humanity, and in order for anyone to be saved, now there there has to be this um, this thing that somehow undoes that damning all of humanity in the same way that a lot of people's theological narratives try to set that stage. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So so just to kind of finish off my points from yeah. what I was going to say before, if that's okay. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the way the way I see it, so Tyler is also asking. Like what's the difference between fallen angels and things so like i i would say look it was a t- the punishment if i'm going to restrict everything i, I the pun the punishment that happened with adam and eve was temporary spiritual death relational separation from god but that can be rectified yes. presumably that can't happen with demons that's debatable as well but i think mm-hmm. i think that's what tyler was saying so let's presume that right they yeah. have permanent spiritual death um now uh i had another thing to say about sodom and Gomorrah, but just before i move on just a quick question for you if you don't yeah. mind Josh. uh because you were mentioning that physical death mm-hmm. uh isn't a punishment or like a, a bad thing kind of thing so like i i actually think that this uh, the physical death is uh an entailment of having this sin disease which causes us to be temporarily spiritually mm-hmm. uh separate from god relationally um so it sounds like you're agreeing with that because what i was going to say is look anything that goes against the design plan we are designed to not be set relationally separated from god correct likewise body and soul for human beings are not designed to be separate so mm-hmm. physical death is a bad state of affairs and this is why i would say it's it's a bad punishment that arises as a consequence of us having this sin disease and being spiritually um separated from God type thing. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue that death in and of itself is good. Um, the The place where I would nuance that a little bit is in the sense that if, if mortality enables us to repent, it makes us changeable, right? That seems to open the door for us to actually repent, and that opens the door for for restoration of of the relationship with god the way it's supposed to be right so um i we definitely look at at death and and, and this is you know scriptural this is something i see you know in church all the time D- that death is 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 the enemy it's not a good thing right but there is a sense in which god enabling humanity to be mortal uh rather than being immortally in a corrupt state enables us to then go through the ultimate exile uh, mm-hmm. and come out the other side through Christ's resurrection uh, with with Hades, as you will, being like a womb, 
right? It's the birthing. It's it's like a birthing place of of second birth, as we're baptized into Christ's death and resurrection, right? Um, then then we have a, a path through death. Uh, so. Yeah, it, it, this this is interesting. This is maybe a little bit of a rabbit trail from some of it, but um, I, I would just say with the angels and demons thing, I mean, I think we see a difference there, even in, even when we're talking about hell or, or the lake of fire, because you know, the lake of fire was explicitly created for the devil and his angels, according to Revelation. We don't have a statement about it being explicitly created for people, right? Um, so it is an argument from silence, but I, I think there is a bit of a, an argument to be made and say, you know, it seems like this is what God created because we had supernatural rebellion of these immortal beings. Um, and then his design is to redeem humanity from this exile that Adam and Eve had, right? Who all from humanity then does get redeemed is is where we follow the story of Scripture and where we talk about a lot of these things. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Okay. So yeah, my second point, cause you brought up Sodom and Gomorrah, these nations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. So it, it might uh, be contingent on how we view the afterlife or something like hell. Uh, yeah. do you, do, first of all, do you, do you believe hell is eternal conscious torment, not torture, but, but torment, or do you go for annihilationism or? Yeah, I mean, so I would refer it a little bit differently, um, and this is partly just coming from some things that I've I've seen uh, in in church fathers and some of the the views that I've seen within orthodoxy that um, this idea that the fire, like God, is a consuming fire, mm-hmm. and so His presence is either refining or unpleasant, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for people that ha- that are in a state where um, what burns away of them is is um, surface level, if you will, um, and they become refined in, in in that fire, and they're in relationship with him. That that becomes a pleasant thing, an ongoing thing of of refinement in in a way of of enjoying his presence. But um, when you're talking about somebody that is has rejected that relationship, that that um, has um, you know been so involved and steeped in in sin and rebellion, and has not repented then that's not a pleasant experience, right? Uh, so um, whether we're going to talk about hell as a place, to me, it depends on what you mean by place, because we're talking about some kind of a supernatural reality. <laughs> uh, so that gets a little bit like heaven is up and hell is down. Like, you know, um, so like, I, I think it is in a way, but what does that actually mean? Uh, you know, um, okay. right? Yeah. All right. Well, okay. So I'm going to try to phrase it to be a, not to get into theological differences on sure. what hell is and stuff. So, okay. So, okay. So great. So Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah. um, God punishes these people. He judges them and they're wiped out. They've, they've got no opportunity mm-hmm. in this life at the least, at the very least, mm-hmm. uh, to reform their character. So guess what? Beneficial consequence, not achieved. Right. So, okay. Well, how would, how would I explain that from a consequentialist perspective? So, yeah. yeah. The first thing I would say is, look, it, punishment is justified if so long as only one beneficial consequence, wor- uh, sufficiently worthy beneficial consequence obtains. And don't forget, by people being punished, there is the reformation of the victims, and including God. God is a victim of sin. He needs to have his character reformed because he's 
I believe he's affected. I know it's controversial, but he's affected by our sins and stuff like that. He, he, uh, you know, we're sinning against him. He gets wrathful and, and angry about it, and rightly so, and stuff like that. So God is, uh, we, we also need to, um, the point is, we also need to think about the reformation of the victims, okay? Uh, so that, that consequence could easily be argued to have been achieved, even if none of the sodomites uh, right. themselves were reformed. The, the second thing, and this is an interesting question in philosophy, right? So there's an issue, of, a debate of, do you actually have to achieve the beneficial consequences for punishment to be justified? Or is it enough to be an in, like an in principle, the intention or the, the possibility of achieving the, the consequence is sufficient, right? Um, because, like, you know, these free will... Look, he gave them that opportunity and they didn't take it. Uh, but the opportunity for reforming their thing is enough to justify it. So there's a debate there, someone could say, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I could definitely see that. Uh, it, it's interesting because uh, um, he, he got a little bit of a headwag for me when he started talking about God actually being passionate or being angry. Um that that gets to be an interesting discussion um and obviously what's, what's the word for, it's not immutable Im, impassionate or what's the it, word there's a yeah like impassable impassable that's it. Yeah. yeah yeah so the, the idea there is is that god is not subject to the passions right so there's oh, yes. there's no sense in which you're ever going to see god controlled by anger or controlled by lust or controlled by hunger the way that people can be and that's part and parcel of of our being mortal is being passable right um so I, I, yeah i so the way you said it is mm -hmm. kind of a loaded thing that i would agree with like uh, yeah god okay. is not controlled by his anger or he doesn't experience sinful anger but he he does experience anger to you know with the bible the straightforward reading of the bible is easy like he's grieved by our sins he He's wrathful. That that's literal. I, I think that's communal. So I would argue he's passable. But I get that's a theological difference. Okay. I, I didn't know the Orthodox uh, believed in impassibility. So that's interesting. So. Well, it's it's um well, and that may be something I need to study more too. So um cool. you know I'm, I'm always looking to learn more on this. The the I, I think the oh goodness, where do I want to go with that? Um, yeah, we, we can move on from that. But yeah, it, it was just kind of it's interesting to to see. The difference there, I, I think what you're saying is that um, you could see something as as justified punishment on this expressivist theory um, if the the benefit to someone that, that is is relevant to that punishment uh, is there. So in this case, um, you know, God is punishing Sodom and Gomorrah and um, and we can say that that is restorative in the sense that it is taking them out of the equation so that they cannot cause further harm to sure Quar uh, to god's world right yeah Quarantine is another beneficial consequence for punishment for sure yeah yeah okay yeah um no i mean I, I, that that's how i would it would tend to look at some of those things is that um you know even if we are talking about stuff that looks more retributive it's not retributive even for its own sake it's it's instrumental yeah. um it is yeah okay Oh, that, that's interesting. I didn't know we were going to be kind of on the same page there. And and some of what you're saying, I'm having to kind of follow along a little bit and try to think real time. So um, is, is it helpful? Yeah. I hope like, is it interesting or? Yeah, yeah, no, I think it is for sure. Cool. Cool. Yeah.
I think it's interesting as well because <clears throat> what you guys just brought out, you know, I'm sitting here just taking it all in and listening to you guys, but what we were saying earlier about overlap uh, whenever it comes to these different concepts of justice, I think we just seen that played out like in real time. And so mm -hmm. I want to, I, I thank you guys for that exchange. Um, so I want to ask um, Sherman, I know it's, uh, so it's point two on your outline here. And so I'm curious uh, from both of y'all's perspectives, um, we've, we've already mentioned uh, N.T. Wright. And for those that don't know, he has uh, some very interesting videos and he kind of takes this same concept that we've been talking about, this restorative uh, model of justice and says, look, you know, there is this sense in which God putting things back right is just in and of itself. But I want to know who are some of the other big names uh, that help shape how we understand uh, justice historically. And so we can mm -hmm. go all the way from, you know, uh, the New Testament or even the Old Testament, uh, if we want to go that route as well, uh, to some modern day uh, people that have influenced your both of your understandings uh, of justice. So let's start with Sherman and then Dale, if you want to uh, follow up on that. Oh, man. I mean, in a way, I've been trying to run as far away from any kind of modern understanding as possible. <laughs> um, so that's, um, that's where I that's my expertise. I, when you talk about the ancient stuff, I'm listening to you because I'm like, yeah. right, yeah. that's your expertise, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so I, I'm looking at things like, you know, the Egyptian understanding of, of Pharaoh ruling justly is that they had this concept of Ma'at, right? And so mm -hmm. it's like he he's they believed him to be a god or an image of god or something like that and so he theoretically had the power and he also had the responsibility to make sure that the rain fell and all of these things right mm. so this idea of being able to order things properly is, an, is a very ancient idea that's the kind of stuff that i look at and i go i see a lot of the same kinds of ideas in 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 scripture if i start to read forward and think about you know kind of you know more recent people, it's because they're trying to point back to these these more ancient concepts, um, or at least more classical concepts when we're talking about, you know, first century, um, then, um, you know, people like N.T. Wright, definitely. Um, I think historically, if we're talking about how the church has understood justice, and maybe why some we see some differences in the way that justice is understood um, amongst people that are, you know, basically, you know, amongst um, people that are shaped more by by eastern thought um whether that's you know in the greek church or whether we're talking about you know in israel um rabbinic judaism those kinds of things they tend to have a little bit of a different idea of it than than we tend to have in the west uh and i think a lot of that comes down and and this is the dissertation or the the master's thesis i was reading this yeah. week is uh, it comes down a lot to some of the translation of things into latin uh, and some of the, the semantic overlap we don't have uh, between Hebrew and Greek and Greek and Latin and Hebrew and Latin. Um, and then looking at the way that um, Tertullian and Augustine especially um, understood justice really shaped a lot of how, how Western society and the Western church has understood it. So um, we see a lot more of a kind of criminal justice view of things than, than I think we see in Scripture. Scripture tends to be more along the lines of that restorative, relational. Um, you know, if you're talking about any kind of a court that's involved, it's usually more around debt 
yep. it's like a civil suit kind of thing rather than a criminal thing. Right. Uh, and so um, the, the, at least the emphasis tends to be different, I, I think, East and West. And, and that part of that reason is that I think that language gap and then some of the concept where what we see a lot in, in the Latin West tends to tie more closely to Roman concepts of justice. Um, and, and that makes sense, right? In a way, they're trying to contextualize it for the people they're talking to. Of course. Um, but I think there is some drift that happened there, at least in emphasis, uh, compared to looking at a more Hebraic or um, even patristic Greek, like Greek patristic uh, understanding of it. Right on. Yeah, um, I guess on my end. So this is where I, I'm weak. Like, I, I have no idea, to be honest, what the early church fathers taught about justice and stuff. Like, I, mm -hmm. I have my ideas about the biblical thing. Like, I think that my ideas are, are true where I have this understanding of what justice is um, from a consequentialist standpoint. I, I will admit that the, uh, just reading the Bible at face value, I think that the the default view would be a retributionist view. So I, I definitely have some some splaining to do kind of thing when it comes to uh, just <laughs> did, did you just say retributionist or did you mean restorationist? Uh, well, I think ret retributionist. I think there are oh, some okay. that are are strongly supportive if, if just read at face value. So you know, I, I kind of I understand why this is the most popular view in, in reading the Bible uh, for a lot of things. But there is that undeniable fact that there's this restoration aspect to it. And mm -hmm. if you're if you're taking all of Scripture together, you can't just ignore one aspect. So this is why I think that, you know, if it taking everything Scripture as a whole, the more the more probable answer is that you know, it's this consequentialist understanding of justice and punishment and, and all of that rather than a retributionist standpoint. But I do I do admit that at face value, at least that's that's a weakness. That's something that we need to contextualize and, and show the fullness of Scripture to convince people, because mm -hmm. some people it's look, he's talking about vengeance. It's an eye for an eye that that's simple. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's actually a great example. Right. So if, if we want to talk about Lex Talionis for a moment, um, the way that a lot of people read that, and especially the way that it plays out in, in media, because you always have like the crazy person that goes on a shooting spree on some crime show that's like an eye for an eye, you know, like um, our understanding of that is so framed by by that that sense of like someone took this from me and now it is my right to take this from them. Mm -hmm. Right. I think if we understand the way that like, you know, you look at Hammurabi's code and some of the other ancient interesting things out there. And then you look at the Torah. What you see primarily, I think, is that Torah is basically saying, OK, <laughs> you can't just kill somebody if they took your eye out. Right. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. actually excessive. Mm -hmm. We need to. I, I know you're used to that. I know that's what your neighbors do. But in this society, we're going to limit what you can do for vengeance. Um, so, yes, there's an establishment of a standard in a way, but the establishment of the standard is actually meant to hold people back uh, from from even more total vengeance or from like Lamech, who's like, I'm just going to kill everybody. Right. Yeah. Um, there are examples know. of restorative restraint. There you yes. Go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think it's helpful to, to take examples like that and say, OK, 
maybe even just the simple ways that we look at some of these things, we can go from from retributive to restorative really quickly if we're really thinking about it, because the idea there is to, um, you know, try to to hold back people from doing wrongdoing, um, but also not allow for punishment that goes so much beyond that you're actually having a detriment to society in doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. And and beyond that, I guess, j just to answer Tyler's question very quickly, like, uh, I guess, important historical figures from more modern times that have been influential on my view in philosophy. Uh, so obviously, Immanuel Kant, uh, he, he provides the deontological basis. I even referenced some of his terms in terms of the these rules like justice principles like justice being universalizable uh there yeah. there is a difference with kant obviously he has this view called unqualified absolutism where he says that every moral principle or rule are equally weighty in all situ any and all situations so like you cannot tell a lie to save a life you yeah know what I mean? yeah. yeah he likes to really create headaches for people <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> So I yeah. disagree with that. I, I would take yeah. more of a, a conflicting, the lesser of two evils type view, right? There, there is a moral yeah. hierarchy. Um, yeah, and, and and I would do that in, in service of of that that sense of harmony and and right relationship, right? Mm -hmm. um, that it's not about the principle itself so much as it is about loving your neighbor. Right. And the principle can help you with that guidepost when you're just blind with rage or you don't know what to do. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the principle isn't so much about like here. Here's the, the exact line to follow. You know, Jesus was pretty clear that we actually have to go beyond that, <laughs> um, you know, and, yeah. and instead of don't murder, well, don't get angry instead of, you know, don't commit adultery, don't lust. Like um, these are all meant to restore and, and to maintain right relationship with God and with each other. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, the moral rules provide the guideposts. And then there's that, that element of that where we involve restorative or relational uh, justice, right? And that's the teleos. That's where virtue ethics comes in. So mm -hmm. just to name drop some people who are influential there, uh, obviously uh, Elizabeth Anscombe kind of started it. I mean, she was the first one, in the 20th century to bring back virtue ethics since the time of Aristotle. Um, before wow. that, it wasn't really popular at all. So her, I'll link to her paper, my blog, that's very, mm -hmm. that's a great one. Uh, more contemporary virtue ethicists, um, you know, people like Rosalind Hursthouse, I like her work, uh, Christine Swanton, Swanton, and Michael Sloat has done some very agent-based and va uh, valued-centeredness uh, mm work in terms of how that relates to virtue ethics like how do the principles relate to building up a virtuous character and stuff like yeah. that I'll, I'll link to those papers in, in the blog okay. for the show so yeah cool right on. um yeah can we can we pivot into some of the places where we, we might have uh more disagreement and a little more fun go ahead absolutely <laughs> um okay so i guess maybe the first thing that, that i want to poke at a little bit is whether we here see a tension between justice and mercy. Okay. Oh, you're just asking. So yeah. no, the answer is no. So I, I kind of said it wrong, I think, with Colin Mullins. Um, so in the first place, I think that, okay, when it comes to atonement and all this stuff, yeah, um, God's being merciful upholds the principle of justice. Because remember how I defined that, that rule, it's treating equals equally and inequals appropriately unequally unless there is a morally justified exemption uh, to exempt that principle. 
in the in this case, out of God's mercy, there there was a justified reason to exempt the principle because Jesus could take on our punishment. He died on the cross, and then he could apply the reform, the re restorative aspect by dwelling in the hearts of Christians and sanctifying them, as Protestants say. So he can apply the beneficial consequences of the punishment that he had to undergo, and he can apply it to us, even though we didn't literally undergo the punishment. So when we're talking about a particular person, is letting them go free because of what Jesus did, justice or mercy? Yeah, that, that's it's merciful in a way, right? Because you're yeah. you're sparing them the anguish of having to suffer hell or or death and relational death from God and stuff. He did it in our place, um, yeah. and that's justified because he can apply those benefits to to us, kind of thing by sanctification. So, if if God were to just let someone go free without that punishment, that would not be just. Correct. Okay, and I'm just trying to kind of understand the, the, the framework. Um, yeah, so one of the interesting things that I ran into as I started to, to get a little bit more into to, um, especially kind of orthodox understanding of things is, is recognizing just how broad mercy is. Um, and, and that really got me into um, asking this question in a different way, right? Because I, I look at it and I say, okay, when Jesus is healing somebody, right, when he is casting demons out of them, when he's forgiving sin of the, for these people, if you ask most people what that is, I think probably most of us would say it's mercy. I don't know how many of us would say it's justice, because we just don't usually think that way. Even if we would, in conversation, we would draw it out and say, Oh yeah, that that was a just act on Jesus's part, right? Um, that's something I, I I just I feel like I want to highlight as a difference between how I think Scripture and uh, the Church Fathers and the Eastern Church understand justice and mercy in a way that may not be absent uh, in in the West entirely, but it does it's not as obvious to people that that was an act of justice. Does that make sense? Um, well, I think, believe it or not, I, I would agree with you. I would call that an act of mercy, but here's how I would, I would put it. Right. So, so yeah. the principle of justice is there, there are no, these moral principles or rules like just the principle of justice, right? The, remember I said the, there can be exemptions, but there are no exceptions. And, what you're saying you're trying to argue for an exception to the rule and that's why i'm resistant to it but in this case i don't see that his mercy it, it, there's not even uh like an, there's no exception to justice because jesus is healing this person in light of the fact yeah, that yeah. he died for her sins so justice is satisfied um, yeah I, i'm not i'm not thinking about it quite in that way um okay but um, here's where the i'll just say this yeah yeah Here's where the mercy comes in. It's it's with respect to the conditions, right? Because obviously, when Jesus paid our price, uh, paid our penalty for us, he in, he has certain conditions for us to his blood to apply, right? So we have to have faith in him. We have to have trust. And obviously, during Jesus' ministry, he hadn't yet died. He hadn't rose from the dead and stuff. So I think he's being merciful and that he's not applying those conditions for her before he forgives her or something. Maybe. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're, you're, you're focusing primarily on the forgiveness there um, in, in those situations. I was a little confused because I was like, yeah, I hope you see healing as a mercy. <laughs> now oh, now yeah. I think we're on the same page. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, I think most people probably would look at that and, and say that that's a mercy, but they wouldn't necessarily think of it as justice because of the concept of justice that a lot of people have. I think as we've been talking tonight, you know, obviously, you know, it's become pretty clear that we both have a much more <laughs> uh, nuanced or, or, or um, holistic view of justice yeah. uh, than I think is, is, is something that that's seen in in a lot of modern christian thought today sorry, um, sorry it, to disappoint the audience you didn't get yeah. the title of the of the show yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't live up to it but <laughs> yeah um yeah no that, that's interesting um so yeah i mean in terms of the forgiveness you know that, that's where i'm trying to steer clear of focusing too much on on cool. the atonement okay um, cool. so the because key. I, I know that's a point of contention and, and I'm trying to, to, to see what we can establish that's related to that, but without getting there. Uh, Cause I feel like that becomes a whole conversation in and of itself. Okay. Um, but, but so some of this is relevant, right? So when we I talk should do about, that part two with Russell. Yeah. But uh, so we talk about like the tension between justice and mercy, the way a lot of people will frame it with something like the atonement is that um, the sinner needs to be punished. Right. And so can God just forgive them? No, he has to do something to punish and he punishes Jesus instead. And that way he can show mercy to that person. And therefore the tension between justice and mercy is resolved. That's, that's a lot often how I see that framed. That's true. I, I do frame it there. I, I guess the mistake I would say, it's not a mistake, but I would disagree with it is again, you know, the sinner needs to be punished. No, remember the expressivist theory of punishment. It's the act, the sinful acts that the person is being punished for. It's it's the acts themselves that are kind of the, the focus that are mm. the object of punishment. And that's just through the person, obviously, right? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of hard to punish an abstract yeah <laughs> yeah uh, okay no that's that, interesting that i mean the acts that, that that's what's subject to the uh, the expressing of censorship and condemnation right okay yeah, yeah th uh, that's interesting i mean again i'm trying to kind of steer clear because we don't align totally on the atonement um yeah. but um okay that's interesting so in in looking at that then the questions I had after your last conversation were, were basically looking at something and saying, is, is, is punishment necessary for the proper exercise of justice? Is that sometimes true? Is that always true? How do we, how do we look at that? So my answer is it, it's kind of a trick, but it's, it's just, no, I mean, because the principle of justice, right. It mm -hmm. doesn't always, it doesn't necessarily have to involve punishment, right? I, I can be just in handing out rewards or, gifts mm. my kids right if i give one kid a chocolate bar i in order to be just i dang well better give the other one assuming they're they're equal okay so uh, yeah. but when we're talking about something like sin you i would i would guess you would say it is necessary at least sometimes probably always if, it, if it's a universalized thing yeah absolutely okay that's the just thing to do is to punish sin, all sin kind of thing appropriately okay. Interesting. Um, okay, so uh, I'm trying to figure out how to 
how to ask questions and clarify without getting into the, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. Hard. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that I, that I look at that makes me wonder about that is um, there are a number of places in scripture that talk about atonement, that talk about forgiveness, that don't seem to involve punishment in that way. Um, and I have some examples. There are things that we could talk about, but it may also just be something to kind of post in the comments is like, here, here's a list. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't know if we want to talk about some of those examples because it, it does to me start to question whether we're, whether we really are talking about something where punishment is necessary in order for forgiveness to happen. Um, so one, one example would be, um, let's see. Like in Daniel 9, um, the people, Hebrew people are exiled in Persia. Daniel prays a prayer of repentance and is shown what God's timing is. And then we don't get a sense of, of punishment from that. We actually see atonement happen literally because of time. Like it's like the, now the time has come, right? Um, so that, that would be an example. Um, I think we see it with incense when Aaron goes running through the camp in Numbers 1646. And um, they'd grumbled after Israel had grumbled after the Korah rebellion. And Aaron stepped in between the living and the dead with his censer and is running around with incense. And that stops the plague. Um, so in a sense, you have this sin of grumbling and you have the punishment of the plague. And then that stopped. But it's not stopped with the punishment, the further punishment. It's not stopped with death. It's not stopped with blood. It's stopped with incense um there are there are other examples like um even like sin offerings right so if you were poor enough you could bring an offering of grain mm -hmm. and that was sufficient for a sin offering or purification offering um for for that person i look at examples like that and there are more of them and it makes me question this idea that punishment is necessary in order to bring forgiveness. Okay. So I, I think my immediate thought is, so one of the things, uh, and it, it might make sense, right? If I'm, if you think I'm saying punishment is necessary, mm -hmm. uh, you're kind of thinking, oh, well, it, it's, uh, it's necessary. It has to be chronologically prior too right so like i i think what's going on here is if these texts are saying okay you're you're forgiven mm -hmm. it's it's saying you're forgiven in light of the fact jesus is going to be paying for all all of those sins past present oh okay um which yeah. is, is is kind of an argument from silence because it's it's assuming your view of of the atonement playing back into it in the, yeah. the same way that i would be assuming my view of the atonement and maybe seeing it differently okay yeah I think interesting Okay. Um, yeah. So part of the challenge that I have with this is, is I also see some things where even with something like Jonah and Nineveh, okay. right, we have um, Nineveh and God sends Jonah to tell them to repent, right? Mm -hmm. 
Jonah doesn't want to do it. And and he says specifically, like, you know, I know when, when God actually forgives them because they repent. And and I, I don't see anywhere where, where it sounds like there's punishment that happens for them that makes this possible. God just forgives them because they repented. Jonah's then pissed. <laughs> right? Well, he's well, like, I knew you were merciful and forgiving God. I knew you were going to do this. And he's mad about it. And well, let, let me ask yeah. you this then. If, if what you, this is where your orthodoxy is going to screw you over, I think. Do, do you guys believe in the harrowing of hell doctrine and stuff? Or, yes. Or, cool. So you just mess yourself over as it because, okay, so, so these guys in the Old Testament, right? Prior to Jesus, did they go to heaven for eternity to spend with the Trinity? No, they were all in Sheol because they weren't truly forgiven. They weren't fully forgiven until Jesus did his work and then went down to hell and released the souls. Only only after Jesus was crucified could they be forgiven in the sense that, okay, now they can be in relationship with God in, the, in his presence in heaven, at least in a disembodied state, uh, awaiting the general resurrection. Before Jesus did that, no, they, they all ended up in Sheol and, you know, we can debate if there's different compartments or whatever, but uh, they weren't good. They weren't good enough to be truly forgiven in the sense that they could be in God's presence. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> <Sorry>. interesting. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's weird because it's, it's you look at the story of Jonah and like they repent and God forgives them and that's kind of the end of that story. Like it's not really trying to say more. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. I like, I, I guess I feel like this is kind of reading a distinction there into things that gets kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so if they repent, I mean, we could go down that. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I, what do we I, do I, with Nineveh? Do we then say that the, that the gospel was preached to them and did they repent? Like what, and, what, and they, what about those who were, haven't heard and, were, and all that? Right. Yeah, they, they were marked for forgiveness. Like their, their name was put in the book of life at, at that moment kind of thing or whatever, I, I would say, I guess, right? Like they, okay. uh, but it's just they, without that punishment being paid, they, they weren't fit to be in God's presence fully. That's, that's why there is that difference there. But So can I follow that up with a mm -hmm. question, Dale? So whenever uh, Genesis, so for example, Abraham happened before Christ's crucifixion, are you saying that Abraham wasn't justified in God's sight? He he was, but in light of the fact that he had to wait for Jesus to die on the cross before he could be in heaven. He he was down in Sheol too. But that has nothing to do with his justification and his standing before God, right? Like something else is going on there, but Okay. You mean he's someone, really yeah. forgiven at that point, though, right? I mean, he's justified. He's declared righteous, and you yeah. would see this as kind of going hand in hand with forgiveness, right? So he's not justified, but not really forgiven, right? You wouldn't say that, would you? Yeah. Okay. So I guess yeah, like what you're saying, using the Protestant distinction of like this forensic legal justification. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I would have to say that. So. Okay, yeah, he, I guess he was literally forgiven then, but he okay. he still he wasn't restored. Let's say that the restorative aspect had to await Jesus to do his for the punishment to pay that penalty and then apply that to Abraham and and all the souls down in Sheol and allow them to be released up to to heaven and stuff. So th this is where okay, th this is where we are going to get into some more fun with justice. Um, so 
when we're starting to talk about the debt that needed to be paid, right? Um, it sounds like what you're saying is this is the debt that needs to be paid to God in order to compensate him for our sin. And this is paid by the punishment of Jesus on the cross. Is that pretty um, accurate? How would you phrase that? Okay, so so I I, I do believe in the satisfaction theory as an aspect, right? The, the uh, appeasement is is a part of the sacrifice, uh, right? We're appeasing God's wrath and that sort of thing. However, uh, I, I wouldn't say big, there are two ways, right? So how do you appease God's wrath? That you mm -hmm. can compensate him. This is what Roman Catholics like Louis Dizon, who was on the show, would say. Sure. Whereas I would say no, the the way you appease God's wrath towards sin and stuff is through punishment. Uh, so those are uh, distinct, I guess, right? Like they're two different ways. Yeah. I mean, I think you could say you could, you could read Anselm in a way that's positive, like um, God's honor being compensated by Jesus uh, living a, a perfect and obedient life. Uh, and you could read it in a negative sense, kind of the way that we see Calvin take it on with penal substitutionary atonement and say that he was, his honor was satisfied by Jesus being punished. Uh, there, there definitely are two different ways to kind of look at that satisfaction. Yeah. And, and by honor, I, I think that that speaks, he's talking about his, his notion of divine justice, like satisfying mm -hmm. this, what are we satisfying this prince of God's notion of justice, his value, value for justice and stuff. Right. Okay. Which, which again, kind of brings me back to the tension between justice and mercy. <laughs> um, so um, the way that, that I, I tend to look at the idea of payment, the idea of um, redemption, the idea of debt um, is, is tied into, like debt is very much tied into the, the idea of slavery, right? Um, and so in order to free the people from Egypt, God had to do something to free them from slavery, right? Um, and, and he redeemed them with a mighty outstretched arm. And you definitely get a sense in some of the scriptures that, that point to Jesus doing the same kind of thing. Um, and I think what we see when we're looking at the cross and we talk about the certificate of debt that's nailed to the cross that is a way of saying like the slavery that people have to sin is over it's been that that has been paid for if you will right they are no longer in debt to sin so now they are free um so in a way i look at that and i say is that a debt paid to the father the father isn't the slave master right um are we talking about a ransom that's being paid to the devil? No, right? We're, we're talking about sin no longer having mastery over people as a slave master. And we're also talking about death no longer having mastery. And, and that's where the harrowing of, of, of hell comes in, is, is this idea that death no longer has mastery over us because Jesus conquered death. Because he went and he took the power of the one who held death, that is the devil. He took the keys of death in Hades, right? So there's there's an ordering of kind of how sin and death are, are relating to each other here. I think we just see differently. And I think maybe part of what you're seeing with the harrowing where you see it as problematic is because you're seeing the relationship almost in the opposite way that I am. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to kind of try to reorder those things because, you know, to me, when we're talking about, you know, payment, I, I don't feel like what we're seeing is, is Jesus paying off the father. Um, well, it's, it's not yeah. paying off the father per se, right? Because okay. it's specifically the father, God's value, value, this principle of justice. If, if I were to say it, it's, it, the ransom theory, I think, is metaphorical, but I think who's the ransom being paid to? The principle of justice, which is the core value of God kind of thing. And that's because, due to that. That's why we are enslaved to Satan as a, as a result of justice and stuff like that. And he gets us off the hook on that front. So, like, hmm. I know it's weird to say and stuff, but I like I would say, like, the ransom is being paid to this principle of justice type deal, which is an intrinsic part of God, obviously, but. Huh. Yeah. I just, I, I've never really thought about it that way. So I, I would have to, to process that a bit more to, um, but I mean, I, I don't agree, but I, I don't know what that means in, in, in any kind of contour detail, if you will. Um, so I'll, I'll have to think about that. Um, but yeah. So um, interesting. But I, I definitely agree that, yeah, I agree with the slave motif and, and the Christus Victor model is part of the story as well, right? Like that's mm -hmm. what in Christ and his mercy, he fulfilled the, he appeased justice, the the demands for justice and stuff like that. And by that, we were free. We, we, we were victorious and freed as slaves and stuff like that. And now we're. So yeah, that, that, that demand for justice, you're saying would be because of God's character Mm -hmm. But not necessarily a demand that God is God the Father is expressly demanding. I'm trying to parse out the the principle versus the the how justice relates to attributes of God, and it, you know what I mean. Yeah, well, it's it, I so I haven't thought about how it like makes sense in light of the the slavery motif but in terms of you know like paying the the debt off with the ransom theory i i just understand that as kind of like a metaphorical yeah aspect right so that's so that's why i can say okay you're paying it to justice i'm, I'm not a platonist thinking that it's it's separate but yeah i've never i don't know like is it obviously i guess it is uh it's a demand that god makes in light of his justice character trait kind of thing just specifically focusing on that aspect um, do you do you see that as being paid by jesus death do you see it as like it was was every bit of torture on the cross necessary for that payment to be in full yeah because i i think so here i might be weird again you you let me know but i yeah. think that jesus, jesus didn't just experience physical death on that cross uh you know my god my god why have you forsaken me? I think he was, he experienced hell because spiritual death, relational separation from God, the father, that's the, that's the punishment for sin, right? It's, it's hell. It's spiritual death. Well, under my understanding, I, again, mm -hmm. I, know I don't share that, but. Um, yeah. I mean, that's not that weird. Uh, that's, that's okay. pretty common. Um, yeah. Whether people actually think he descended into hell to be tortured or whether he experienced that in, in some kind of metaphorical sense, that's really common, especially in, in reform circles. Yeah. Um, I think like location yeah. doesn't matter. It's that he experienced it. Yeah. Sherman. Yeah. 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 Sorry. It's, no, literal, go ahead. it's not metaphorical. It, it's he experienced literal, relational literal separate relational separation, not 
Ontoli. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm saying met metaphorical in the sense of it whether he went into a location of hell. Oh, yeah. yeah. He experienced what, on the okay. cross. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's okay. So that particular quotation, um, I can send you a paper by um Dr. Carissa Quinn at the Bible Project. Yeah. Um, there are a couple other things on it that I've seen. Um I read that very much in line with Psalm 22, because I think that Jesus is, is doing a remez. He's quoting that first line, and he's he's expressing how people are supposed to understand what's going on on the cross. Um, so I don't see it as a spiritual separation. I think that, caused, that could cause issues uh, when we're talking about Trinitarian stuff. So I, I'm at least cautious to go in that direction. Right. Um, I think what we see is more the sense of when Israel was being judged, right, to be handed over to the wrath of God, to the judgment of God, what happened there was they were handed over to the nations, right? It's like God, you know, pulling back his protection from them, right, and handing them over. And we see the same kind of dynamic happening at least visibly with Jesus, as he is handed over to the religious leaders, he's handed over to uh, to Pilate to these to the nations. Uh, he's crucified outside the camp. Those are all motifs of being forsaken by God to judgment, right? I don't think we need to take it any step further and say that the Father actually forsook the Son in any real sense, um, but, and because yeah. I think that causes problems. Okay, so so let me ask you this. So so obviously yeah. you uh, don't share my fundamental presuppositions, mm -hmm. but let let's say you did. Let's say you're like, yep, yep, penal penal substitutionary atonement is true. He needs to pay. Jesus needed to pay the penalty. Pretend pretend you agree with me on that for a second. Okay. Um, if that's the case, would you then agree with me that well, he had to experience hell or spiritual death because that is biblically speaking, that's the punishment. It's not just... No, I, I can certainly see the logic there. Yes, um, I, I, I do think those that fits together pretty well. I think that's why Calvin took the view that he did. Uh, I think it's why we see a lot of reformers um, and reform teachers now even saying that God damned Jesus and um, that um, you know the the Father did forsake the Son, even to the point sometimes of talking about a rift in the Trinity. Some people will actually explicitly say that. Well, that's heresy. Um, obviously, yeah, like that's we run it. away from that really fast. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would agree with yeah. that. No. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I I do see the logic. I understand why people go there. Um, the more that I have just looked at this, the more that I don't see the fundamental presupposition being something that I need to say yes to. So I don't need to follow the rest of the logic. Okay. Uh, granted. Okay, cool. But okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's cool. I learned something new. I did not know that Kelvin said it, uh, said that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Sproul said uh, things like goddamn Jesus. Um, Piper has talked about Jesus uh, crying the scream of the damned when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a very common reading. Uh, and Luther. Luther has has some things that that go along those lines. Um, some of it, so here yeah. I am. I thought I was so so yeah. glad. <laughs> yeah, but 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 again, I mean, if if you read through Psalm twenty two and and you look at that passage, the whole message of that psalm is is that the person that starts out saying that is not forsaken, and that God vindicates them, right? So oh, yeah. for me, I look at it and I say, what this is expressing is what people expect 
right? In Isaiah 53, like we, we thought you were despised and rejected, right? Their expectation was that that's what was happening because they look at Jesus being crucified outside the city. He's hung on a tree. That means he's cursed. All of that appearance is there of forsakenness and being handed over. But what verse was this again? Just uh, Psalm 22. Oh, oh, uh, okay. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you read that whole passage, it begins with my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And then, and then goes in and at the end of it, you, you have this, uh, this sense of um, even the nations coming to praise God and this vindication. And it ends with, you know, hallelujah. He has done it. God has done it. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, in the middle of it, you have this a very explicit kind of expression of not being forsaken by the person that's speaking in the psalm. And so for me, I look at that and I say, I think what's happening here is that th this is basically Jesus and the gospel writers putting this in context for, for the people that are there and for the readers saying, was was Jesus forsaken? No, he's he's going to be vindicated. And if you know the psalm, you know what's happening next even if you're looking at it and you don't see how that's possible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that's obvious. That's what the resurrection is mm -hmm. kind of thing. Right. So like, yeah, like I, I would have a different way of kind of solving that, but yeah, no, that's cool. There is a specific word that you, a couple words that you said that mm -hmm. I thought I grew up, but that was coming from Psalm 22. So, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, okay, well, I've got a question for you then. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. So, okay. So we, on your list of questions, you have the you ask is punishment necessary for forgiveness so mm -hmm. okay we've been going over that for a while but i want to away from punishment i want to ask yeah. you is repentance necessary for forgiveness because this is i, I was going on this with uh caleb Mullen. yeah 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 oh, and that's actually what kind of triggered me into thinking about some of this stuff uh so um what i would say is that repentance is not necessary for forgiveness it is necessary for reconciliation okay does that make sense so i can forgive someone and they might still be off doing whatever they're going to do um, they might be unrepentant and whatever if we're actually going to enter back into relationship if the forgiveness is going to take that if there's going to be atonement uh, because atonement really, I mean, reconciliation and atonement basically are the same thing. That's what that term means, right? That um, right? Yeah. Yeah. If we're if we're going to have that relationship restored, then then there does need to be repentance. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So so obviously you you already kind of know my take. I, I would I would say that look, for, forgiveness is necessary for uh, reconciliation. You, you need that forgiveness first, right? Um, and obviously. In terms of the question, repentance is needed for forgiveness. I mean, why why would it be the case, right? And it's because I believe that forgiveness, like reconciliation, these things are linked. They they are uh, transactional in the Bible. The the understanding there, right? So it involves two or more parties. And the first in the first place, the offender they have to acknowledge their sin. They they have to get it uh, type deal right mm -hmm. uh, that what they did was really wrong uh, and they have to understand what it means to be forgiven right it, it's not forgiveness is not just something that's that's offered it's something that's received this is a, a good little quote but um if you don't if that isn't in place you're never going to be reconciled they're, they're just gonna 
it's it's you're going to be de-reconciled in in like two days time kind of thing right and mm -hmm. also on the the other side it it also helps the other party the offended party because look it, it's precluding this sense of justice right and again this is where i mentioned i've got my own personal experiences with atheists and stuff if if you don't get this forgiveness the repentance first mm -hmm. before forgiveness and then before reconciliation it precludes the sense of justice and this just causes you to become bitter and angry and and hate hateful and guess what that reconciliation isn't going to happen so this is just in a nutshell kind of why i think yeah <clears throat> repentance is the first step yeah i mean i definitely think it's it's needed if we're going to have the restoration of the relationship but for me i i am looking at repent at, at forgiveness more in terms of the posture of the one that's doing the forgiving than in in terms of of kind of other things right so we're meant to pray for our enemies we're meant to even forgive our enemies we see history in the church of people forgiving the people that martyred them we see jesus saying father forgive them for they know not what they do like see. yeah all of that kind of happens and and that and that's before repentance on on the their part so um i i think maybe the the place where we're, we're differing a little bit is is thinking about what what is what are the implications of someone being forgiven right for yeah. you it's if you're forgiven then you're saved right I'm, I'm just looking at that a little bit differently um and and maybe that's part of the difference and we can talk about that that may be a longer conversation because i know tyler it sounds like you have to wrap up pretty soon but yeah um, yeah, I mean, I would just, you know, to your point, Josh, like that's one of the things that stood out to me and Dell and I were actually talking about this off air for a couple hours one day. So this could <laughs> definitely, definitely yeah. be a part two. Um, yeah. and, and I would like to do that if you're interested and get, you know, Russell and Davidson in here to get their comments as well. But, you know, that was you. You just said something that like kind of I was like, yes, like that right there is that you know we are supposed to love our enemies the scripture is clear about that and i think you know that would entail two things one that out of love we forgive right because mm -hmm. we love we forgive and therefore if that's true and at the same time these people are our enemies then in some sense there is not reconciliation right happening there right yeah so there is that separation now i guess you could look at it like well it's a relationship it's just a bad relationship <laughs> but right. i i don't think you know i would buy that right because there is this whenever you reconcile in the biblical sense anyway there's this automatic understanding of a friendship right abraham was justified mm -hmm. and also at the same time james says was called the friend of god right mm -hmm. And so when you're reconciled to God, um, and, and Paul says, you know, we are ambassadors for Christ's sake, be reconciled to God. There's this understanding that, you know, we're children of God at that point. And so it's a good relationship. Reconciliation entails goodness, right? And so that was, you know, just, just to kind of comment on what you had said there, Sherman, that, that was my thing where I would maybe disagree with Dale a little bit, is that if we are uh, to love our enemies and love implies forgiveness and at the same time they're still our enemies then it seems like there's this notion that we would forgive our uh enemies before before they reconciled uh with us or tempted to or repented or, or whatever mm -hmm. um so that's just my two cents dale what do you uh just i, I want to get your thoughts on that though yeah just, so just very quickly i think 
the fundamental mistake you made, Tyler, is saying okay. love implies forgiveness. No, it doesn't. Okay. Um, right? Because God, under a Protestant understanding, which I know Joshua takes issue with, right, where I'm equating forgiveness and salvation, and God doesn't forgive people, but he still loves them, even though they're his enemies or whatever, right? Um, and stuff like that. And the Bible's clear on that front. So what I think that the Bible's talking about in these instances, if you if you look, first of all, look at 1 Corinthians 13. It details what agape love is. It it does not just say unilaterally forgive. That's not one of the aspects of loving uh, in an agape sense. And um, okay, I had a, had an appointment before. And sorry. Um, no, you're good. Son of a gun. It was important, and now I've just forgotten it. Um, so agape love. Loving your enemies. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Uh, he was talking about loving your enemies, talking about forgiveness, talking about... Um... Oh, okay. Got it. Awesome. Cool. So one thing we have to be aware of, right? So what I think loving your enemies is about, it, and when it's talking about, like, you know, God, forgive these people. They know not what they do and stuff. There, there's what is called attitudinal forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. So the Bible's clear. Look, we are supposed to have the attitude. Part of loving your enemies is you stand ready and always willing to forgive and eager to forgive your your enemy you don't harbor bitterness or revenge or anger and hatred and like i said i've had personal experience this sometimes this is harder right i've had to pray for the holy spirit to help me with some of these atheists and stuff like that and thankfully i was able to live up to that demand but it doesn't talk about what some people have called actionable forgiveness where you actually forgive them that only comes in once they repent and that transaction is complete. It, it requires two parties. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I can see where, where you could say something like that if we're talking about the way that the sacrifices are, are set up in Leviticus, right? You have um, the person comes in, uh, whether they're coming to to bring a sacrifice of goodwill or, or you know, whatever. But um, when they're bringing a sacrifice specifically to try to repair relationship with someone else or with God, then you do have this application of blood you do have and the priest shall make atonement and they shall be forgiven right um so i i do think we can talk about a distinction between the attitude of forgiveness and the like forgiveness that that is is like actionable and that, that results in reconciliation if you will mm -hmm. um so maybe maybe there there's a, a terminological thing there where where um you and caleb were button heads a little bit i don't know that that's an interesting question i'd love to explore that more cool cool yeah awesome. yeah over to you tyler kind of thing there <laughs> all right well i mean if we want to pause uh for right now and and pick this up uh back later um i think you know is that what you guys want to do yeah i think we could do that um okay it might, might be a little bit before we can come back to it and and maybe that's a bigger you know bigger group and maybe we we start to hammer things out around the atonement and and, and stuff a little bit more um yeah. but yeah i mean i i think for my kind of closing thoughts with this yeah. um i would just say that i hope that um for those listening that you've you've come away from this with maybe a, a deeper or more well-rounded or more holistic more biblical view of justice and, and the different pieces that are involved and maybe the the biggest frame that we see in scripture um, that Dale and I both agree, uh, and I, I think Tyler agrees too, um, that res restorative justice is is the biggest frame. And the other things that we see are, are things that fit within that because we're talking about 
God creating the world uh, and creating people that were good, that were in right relationship with each other. And then the story of scripture that we see is the, that being unraveled by rebellion and sin, uh, that resulting in death. And, uh, and then Jesus coming to fix all of those things, <laughs> um, not just sin and death, but also the, the rebellion and, and slavery we have um, to, to uh, the devil and to demons. Uh, and that what we see in the end is this restoration that God does, uh, does bring about in the end, the vindication of his creation. Uh, and so hopefully in seeing that, We'll be able to have uh, even more interesting conversations about things related to justice and scripture and theology. Bill? Uh, yeah, nothing really much to say. I think it was um, an interesting conversation. I, I was enjoying learning uh, from Josh and his where we agree and where we disagree and stuff like that mm -hmm. in terms of justice, uh, forgiveness, and punishment, and how all of these things relate to each other. So, yeah. Um, I hope it lived up to your expectations, Josh, because this was your idea. So I wasn't that bad, at, hopefully. But <laughs> yeah, I think I it was pretty on point. Yeah, I think it was good. There may have been less fireworks than people were <laughs> hoping for, but um, sometimes that's that's really good because it means that we're you know we're aiming at the same thing, or or at least um, we're aiming at understanding uh, more than we are aiming at, at uh, appearing to be the one correct person in the conversation. Um, and right. aiming for that understanding is really helpful. Right on. And I would just say, you know, in closing, I, I, I can't reiterate what, you know, both Josh and Dell said, you know, I hope that those watching this come away with a with a good understanding and, and a good, you know, and not so much to to stop here, but to investigate these concepts further. There's multiple passages uh, that we didn't even touch on. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so I would encourage people uh, if you want or not if you want, but to look into uh, this concept. Like I said, I'm in Isaiah, I'm in Jeremiah, and, and this concept of justice uh, is throughout the prophets. And so that would be a good place to start. Another place I would go is Judges and, you know, uh, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. Uh, those, um, those books really kind of lay out and... Uh, mm -hmm. The, where they went wrong right so so the historical books are where uh you see this in real time kind of go wrong and then the prophets are calling them back to what they should have been right and and where they should have never left so i think putting those two things together it would make for a really in-depth uh and and uh would give someone a well-rounded view of justice um even just on a uh, a little bit deeper than a surface level because uh, I think we have to explore what the Bible says as a whole uh, mm -hmm. if we're going to come away with a well-rounded, you know, deep uh, understanding of justice. Uh, but I do want to leave uh, our listeners with, um, I, I was looking up uh, just, just some passages to kind of uh, leave people with, because again, and we haven't done this in a while, and that's partially my fault. Um, it, it really is my fault um, that we haven't. But, you know, we want to encourage people um, more so than the secondary issues uh, that we have either between Protestants or between uh, uh, Protestants and Orthodox or Roman Catholics or whatever. If y'all haven't noticed yet, we bring everybody uh, on this show. And there's one thing that we all have in common, I think, and, and this is where our foundation uh, stems at. Right. We all call Christ 
our Savior. We all say that we have faith in Christ, right? And in one very um, good way, I think, uh, in that sense, we're all united, right? And so with that understanding, and so I just want to leave uh, our listeners with this. If your faith is not in Christ, you know, kind of give a little gospel call. Uh, really consider this, you know, what we're saying, because all of the things that we laid out tonight, whenever we quoted scripture about retribution, whenever we quote, quoted scripture about restoration, right? All of these things apply to you as well. And and this is nice to talk about, right? But if we don't take the practical side and actually try to apply this to our lives then I don't think it does anybody good, any good. We can talk about retribution and restoration until the cows come home. But guys and gals, this really means something. And so I would encourage uh, everyone, uh, Psalm 86, 5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Romans 10, uh, I love Romans 10. Paul tells us if we confess with our mouth that Christ is Lord, and believe in our hearts that he rose from the dead, we will be saved. And so I would encourage everyone for today is the day of salvation. Call upon the Lord, be saved, and join an Orthodox church. Good night. No, just kidding. <laughs> but visit, visit an Orthodox church uh, if, uh, if there is one nearby. But guys, it's been an awesome, awesome conversation. Josh, you, I love you, dude. You know you're more than welcome uh, anytime I want to do part two. Dale, I can't wait for next week. Um, whenever I know you've got some uh, real seeker shows, so before we uh, run, do you want to tell our audience what you've got coming up on Real Seekers, and then I'll take us out. Um, so I have a show tomorrow. I think it's at one o'clock. Hang on one second. Okay. So I'll check that in one second. I gotta say, Dale, um, you are like the marathon man with all this podcasting stuff. It, I don't know how you do it. He's the energizer, Dell. He just keeps going, <laughs> yeah, and going and going. Well, it's unsustainable. I, yeah, five this week. It's it, it's it's too much, right? So yeah, um, hopefully in May, right. I'm gonna scale back a bit. Yeah, but I've got one tomorrow at eleven a.m. Um, What's we'll up? I always say the same thing, but yeah. So it's on the Shroud of Turin again. Okay. Um, nice. Yeah, with Mark Antinacci, Mark Neer, and Hugh Ferry debating. Uh, can we prove that the shroud is consistent with the first century Jewish, uh, with Jesus, basically the historical Jesus, uh, and is it anatomically accurate or inaccurate? Hmm. Cool. Yeah, right that on. stuff is so interesting. I, I really enjoy it. It is. Yeah, there, there's so much to it. I, I think um, Joe Marino has calculated how many academic disciplines are involved in studying. <laughs> it's 97. Oh um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, yeah, it's crazy. That's insane. And uh, so, yeah, if you if you like Shroud of Torrent, I know. So Dell and I were talking uh, a little bit, you know, off air. And so Dell, so if you are subscribe, if you haven't subscribed to Dell's channel, so Dell has been doing. Josh talked about marathons. He's doing a big marathon of Shroud of Torrent stuff. So so Dell will eventually get off the Shroud of Torrent. Uh, but this has been a series that he's been, you know, really invested in. And so I just, you know, commend him for everything, all the hard work that he's put in uh, on this topic. Like I told him before, and I've told people uh, on on this podcast as well, CSG, that between Dell and Teddy, 
uh, y'all got me really convinced uh, about the Shroud of Torrin. And so I really think, you know, at this point, I can say for certain, pretty much certainty that, you know, the Shroud, it's not a fake. I, I think I can say with 100% certainty that it's not uh, painted or anything like that. Yeah. And so Dell um, has definitely opened me up to to the authenticity of the shroud. So if you're a shroud skeptic or you don't really know, like you've heard about the shroud, I think everybody's heard about the shroud, but you haven't did deep dives into it, man. Check out Real Seekers because Dell does good good work uh, whenever it comes to the shroud of charm. But it won't last, so limited time only. And then he will be moving on to something else. So get it while the getting is good, y'all. And by the way, so faith unaltered. Uh, next Friday, so May the 5th, Cinco de Mayo, right? We've got uh, should Christians abstain from alcohol consumption? Um, we've got a gentleman from TikTok, uh, Jason Jason White uh, is his name, and uh, God's Forgiven Soldier he goes by on TikTok. Uh, I had made a just a short little TikTok about, uh, about wine, and he, uh, or no, no, I take that back. I saw a video from him about how Christians uh, should not drink wine, and I made a response to it. We got to talking, and so he's going to come on the podcast. And it's not going to be a debate, but we're just going to have an informal dialogue. He's going to take the uh, positive position, so should Christians abstain from alcohol? He's going to say yes to that, uh, whereas me and uh, David will take the negative side um, and, and say and come to the, you know, like it's more of a liberty issue, um, that it's not a sin to drink alcohol. What is a sin is to get drunk. But we'll go in more detail uh, with that. Then on May the 12th, it's, uh, that's at 7 p.m., May the 5th. Uh, May the 12th, uh, we will have Sherman back again uh, with Caleb Mullins, uh, Father Jonathan Ivanov, so the guy that debated Pastor Samuel Fragg on Icons. Uh, we will have these guys. Uh, a couple other people, right, Sherman? Yeah, um, I think so. Okay, uh, I don't care. I don't remember the full list. Yeah, I think Kevin Hughes is going to try to show. So that's going to be at 11 a.m. Uh, so we're doing a little bit different to uh, get Kevin involved in that episode. He's got to work Friday, and so he can't make it at 7, but we wanted his opinion. Uh, so this is going to be the Orthodox episode. So why we're Orthodox. Um, uh, then on May the 19th, uh, David is hosting his Protestant episode. So the Protestant Awakening, he's... Uh, I no priscilla what's her last name dale help me out oh i have no idea so yeah sorry i don't know i want to say destiny uh she, she's a TikToker, and then he's got a couple other people i'm in the group chat but i haven't looked at it for a minute now uh but basically why why we're protestant i know the black doctor jeremiah short i'm pretty sure he's going to going to be on that episode as well we're trying to get jeremiah uh, nortier the apologetic dog to come on and uh and basically you know kind of responding to why we're orthodox so they're going to say why we're protestant and then hopefully in the future we can get the roman catholic episode so if you're roman catholic you want to be on that episode email me faithunaltered at gmail.com uh we definitely we can get 10 people on here y'all and so we definitely have room and then on the uh 26th we have drug testimonies so what was really interesting is i made a little fake TikTok video that guys you ain't gonna believe this it's almost got a million views on TikTok we're up to the 900,000 view mark 
And I'm just like, yo, I can release a thousand episodes about Jesus that barely break a thousand views, but I release a fake haunting video. I get almost a million views. Like that's crazy. Right. But anyway, I got to talking to some really interesting people on there uh, about drug addiction and about Jesus and about all kinds of, so it opened the door for some really good conversation. Well, Courtney uh, from TikTok is going to come on Faith on Alter May 26th at 7 p.m. Uh, to discuss her testimonies and how Jesus set her free from drugs, kind of the same testimony I've got. And so I think that'll be really, really fun. And then we are, we don't have anything planned for June the 2nd, but then June the 9th, we're having the part two of the icon debate with Father Jonathan Ivanoff and Pastor Samuel Frag. We're talking about Mary this time, y'all. And so that's going to be a fun, fun, fun episode. I think that uh, the guys did great in the debate. And so Pastor Sam brought up at the end of that debate uh, a, you know, a bunch of quotes about Mary that Orthodox uh, uh, Christians say during liturgy. And, and you know, they quote the hymns, uh, the Akathis, things like that. And, uh, and Father Ivanov had some things to say about Sam's interpretation of those things. So they're going to be back to discuss Mary and how she is viewed in the Orthodox Church. That's all I've got scheduled. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in watching this live if you're watching this at a later date thank you we are listener supported so please like share and subscribe to faith unaltered if you have not if you would like to donate and financially support our ministry please email me faithunaltered at gmail.com you can do that but you can support our ministry absolutely 100 free by liking by subscribing to our channel and by sharing this people with as many people or by sharing this video with as many people as you can and so we thank you, we love you, and uh, let me, let me, since our tech guy is not here, get the video ready, because y'all, you have a wonderful night, God bless, and stay like Christ. <laughs>